Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you bless this time? We thank you, Lord, for giving those of us who are here an opportunity to gather. God, we pray a blessing on those who uh, who should not or cannot gather this morning. Um, would you uh, would you grant that? through technology that's a gift, uh, that they would be able to participate and feel connected to the body. Um, We are indeed one body. We have many members. Um, And so as as one goes, we all go. And so just pray for a blessing on all of our people, those present, those not present. And um, we pray that you, Lord, would speak to us through your word. And we ask it for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, the house that we bought in LaGrange has uh, the, the people that sold it to us. Um, so some of, the, um, some of the previous owners were painters. <clears throat> and so they left us a closet full of paintings. So we're rich in paintings. It's pretty fantastic. A bunch of portraits of people we don't know. That's kind of odd. But we're going we're gonna to put them up in the house, I think. I hope, anyway. Because <clears throat> it would be fun to have strangers there. But I found a book of art in there, and it was entitled, like, Famous Dutch Artists. And uh, so I was thumbing through, and uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't. Rembrandt apparently was Dutch. You guys knew this? Okay. Uh, Rembrandt was Dutch, and so he was represented in there. And I came across a picture entitled Christ in the Storm. And it's this painting of... um, of this text that Russ read to us, of Christ in the boat with his disciples in the middle of a storm. They're freaking out. It looks like they're about to die. And he's like nice and neat in the back with his hands tucked under his chin, sleeping away like a baby lamb, right? And um, as I was thumbing through that, I thought, man, that would be a cool text for us to look at when we when we gather. And so, um, so I want to, I want to, look at this with you. One of the things that I discovered, I I intended to preach just the calming of the storm, uh, but the context goes together. And so I wanted to, I wanted to read all of this with you. And kind of the, the big idea is expectation. What you expect of the Christian life, what I expect of the Christian life. Um, you, uh, ladies, what book do you get given when you're with child? Do you know what to expect when you're expecting? So this text is kind of Matthew's version of what to expect when you're expecting, but it's what to expect when you're following Christ. That's kind of the idea. Expectations matter. We all know this, right? So what to expect when you're following Christ. All right, so you're in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18. The first thing that you can expect is cost. Cost. Verse 18 says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Now, I want to point that out to you. Seeing a crowd, a large crowd, prompts Jesus to go away. This is kind of a mega theme in the Gospels. In, uh, in the Gospel of John, um, he, he feeds the 5,000. And in, in a response, the, John says the people were going to take him by force and make him king and Jesus left them and he ran away. So he's not like our politicians that sort of strike while the iron is hot, knowing that, you know, your popularity among the masses is only, you know, it has a shelf life. And so when you're popular, you 
Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Christ does not offer him stability in this world. Okay? He's very, he's very uh, uh, clear on that, that this, this scribe is coming to Jesus. This is at the front end of his ministry. He thinks he's the Messiah. He thinks he's going to take over, give them political freedom, give them uh, material blessing. I'll, therefore, I will follow you anywhere. And, and Jesus says, look, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, we were watching a televangelist um, yesterday um, blow away the coronavirus in the midst of his uh, in the midst of his requirement to you know make sure you're not slacking on your tithe. It doesn't matter if you've lost your job. It doesn't matter what's going on. Like make sure to pay the tithe because I need to continue to pay for my jet. And if you'll do that. God will get rid of coronavirus for you. And so he blew it away from the tithers. Uh, it's a vastly different word that Jesus brings. You've got to count the cost. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So he, he kind of stiff arms this guy. Another of the, uh, of the disciples now. So this is interesting. First guy's described in verse 21. This is a disciple. And so when you follow Christ, you're going, you need to expect cost. You also need to expect a reworking of your priorities, that your priorities matter. So one of the, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, pop quiz, does it, or not pop quiz, but like, how does that grab you? If you have a lost parent and Jesus says, hey, follow me. So that's the implied he doesn't say anything about falling, but he says, let me first go bury my father. That doesn't sound like an unreasonable request, does it? Do you think this guy deserves rebuke for saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I need to go bury my father first. Listen to what Jesus says and let it disturb you. Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, Sweet Jesus, meek and mild. Does that, does that not, um, is that not an abrasive thing to say to somebody? Let me go bury my father. There's a biblical context here. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, at the beginning of Elijah's ministry, he's walking along and he sees Elisha, his replacement, what will be his replacement. And the story goes that Elijah is walking by and he takes off his cloak and you remember when Elijah ascended into heaven, um, he left his cloak, his mantle behind, and Elisha picked it up, right? So he takes that mantle that's going to be Elisha's. Elisha uh, is uh, plowing with 12 oxen. And Elijah goes and casts his cloak over Elisha. And Elisha leaves right away. And he goes back and he says to Elijah, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye. Let me tell them what's going on and let me, I'm going to, and so the text is very clear. It says he left off following Elijah to go tell his family goodbye and make a last sacrifice. And Elijah says to him, what have I, what have I done to you? Of course you can do that. Of course, of course, tell your dad, of course, tell your mom, no big deal. Just go. So that's the biblical context that Jesus is saying I'm something massively greater than Elijah. For, for Elijah to come by and say, follow me, 
You can take your time. You can go make sacrifices. You can go say your goodbyes. Jesus is saying that he is such a high priority that you can't even do that which is, seems immediate to us. Following Christ is the most urgent necessity for you and for me on this day and on every day in which we live. So we're to receive him as he is offered to us in the gospel with no strings attached and no rival priorities, okay? So we can expect costs. We can expect a reorienting of our priorities. We can also expect surprise. Now watch this. He tells uh, this guy in 22, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now in verse 23, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Okay, his disciples followed him. So again, he's dodging the crowds. Um, and it, so he's, he's dodging people who have come to follow him to obtain um, whatever idol that they're seeking. Which, by the way, let me say this for a moment about idolatry. We tend to think of people who would worship idols as very, uh, very uh, dumb, right? Because you have a little idol and you're going to bow down to it and ask it for help. Um, in... In the Old Testament and the New Testament in our day, idolatry is vastly different than that. You are, it's always an exchange. It's always an exchange. I'm giving something, I'm sacrificing something in order to get something else. So in the Old Testament, when they would sacrifice to Moloch and let their sons pass through the fire, they would heat up a bronze statue. Its hands would be there, uh, red hot, glowing hot, and they would put their, their infants on the hands. And we look at that and we would say, why would you do that? And they would answer, well, because we want good crops. And sometimes you have to sacrifice good things to get, to get good things. And so they would sacrifice crops for, uh, sacrifice their infants for material prosperity. It's the same thing that we do today with abortion and any number of things that we say, okay, we're going to take something that's precious and we're going to give it away so that we can have material prosperity. So we can be protected so that we don't, uh, we don't disrupt our career or whatever else. So it's just old-fashioned idolatry rampant in our day as well. And that's the reason people are coming to Jesus. They're coming to him saying, I will follow you because I want these things from you. And Jesus is saying, no, just follow me. Follow me for me. Follow me for me, not for the things that I provide. And so I want you to see those two guys versus his disciples. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. They didn't have any other priorities. Peter says, we left wives, we left families, we left everything to follow you. And so here they are in the boat with Jesus. They followed him. In verse 24, there's a very interesting word. It says, and behold, behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. The idea is they followed him for him. Nobody was uh, none of the disciples were saying, you know, we ought to take Jesus out into the lake and get into a great storm and see what kind of miracles he could work. They're just following him uh, in whatever, uh, whatever that means. They're going to follow him. And it says, behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. So there's this surprise. We're to seek Christ. We're to follow Christ, to trust in him. But we're also not to be shocked when he leads us into situations where we're stretched and where we don't understand, where the boat is swamping and where he is, as we're going to see, asleep, where we don't understand. Okay, so 
your job as a Christian is to trust in Christ and to follow him. It's not that you go seeking out uh, suffering, but it is that you will follow him wherever he leads and not be surprised when something arises that stretches you. Okay? So there's cost, there's priority, reorienting, there's surprise, there's risk. There's risk. Now watch this. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, meaning Jesus, was asleep. They woke him saying, uh, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, pop quiz. Think about a story in the Bible. Where have we seen a man of God in a boat, in a storm, everybody's losing their mind in panic, and he's asleep. Where have we seen this? Jonah. It's a redo of the story of Jonah. And you guys know Jonah was in the boat because he didn't want the Ninevites to obtain the mercy of God. That's why he ran. He wasn't afraid of the Ninevites, which is kind of the story that VeggieTales will tell you. No, he says at the end of the book, Lord, I knew you're this way. I knew you were going to send me there so that they could obtain mercy. And so he runs. Jonah is in the boat because he has been disobedient. And so we don't, are not really scandalized by Jonah being in a storm because he's been disobedient. Why, is, why are the disciples experiencing this storm? Is it because of their disobedience? No, it's because of their obedience. They have followed, they have followed Christ. Following Christ can be risky. They are on the right boat at the right time for the right reason and they are, quote-unquote, perishing. Okay? So this is important because sometimes Christians, anytime hardness comes up, anytime suffering comes up, we say, Lord, what have I done? Sometimes that's warranted. Oftentimes it is not. Oftentimes it is just following Christ. Okay? Um, Mark, when Mark tells this story, he adds the phrase, they say here in Matthew, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Mark says, they say to him, teacher, do you not care? So what are they doing? They're questioning his care for them. Do you not care? It is always our reaction to doubt his care. Um, and the reality is, it's just, again, it's in terms of expectation, what Christ wants for you is not always what you want for you. Is that, would y'all yes and amen that? Sometimes we want some things that he does not want for us because he wants something infinitely better. So what is Christ after for you? He's after Christ-likeness. He wants to make you like himself. And so the Christian life involves risk. The Christian life also involves rebuke. You can expect rebuke, okay? So two things that they doubt here. They doubt his care for them. Okay. Uh, they doubt that Jesus cares for them. Now, I would wonder if any of you guys struggle with the same way. My, um, if I were to be honest, I have no struggle whatsoever telling you that Jesus cares for you and actually believing that Jesus cares for you. So when I watch you go through whatever you're going through, I can look and say, well, man, Jesus is sanctifying you and he cares for you. But when I go through it, I typically believe something vastly different. Oh, I'm derelict. I'm an orphan. He doesn't care for me. So I can believe rightly about y'all. I have a hard time believing rightly about me. They doubt his care for them. They also doubt his control for them. 
right? We're told in Ephesians that Jesus has been, he has ascended into heaven, that he has been given to the church as the head over all things, and he rules as head of the church over all things. He controls everything for you. He controls coronavirus for you. He controls the economy, the stock market. He controls everything for you, and we tend we tend to doubt that. <clears throat> and so he speaks this word of rebuke. He said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, doesn't that sound harsh? Think about this. What did Jesus tell us in the Gospels about little faith? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you're the worst. You have a little faith. You're the worst. What does he say? You can move mountains with just a mustard seed of faith. You can tell this mountain to be cast into the heart of the sea and it will go. So why does he rebuke them for little faith? It's because they're not believing. They're not trusting who he is. They're not trusting his care for them or his power. So you and I need to decide now, will we follow Christ as long as he is our yes man? Or will we follow him even in rebuke? You know, uh, the, the church of our day does not like to be rebuked. We don't like to be corrected. I'm the same way. I don't like it when somebody says, you know what? I think that was sinful of you. I hate that because I want to be right and true and I don't want to repent. Are you going to follow Christ even when he is rebuking? <clears throat> okay. You can expect cost, priority, surprise, risk, rebuke. You can also expect reward. Can I get you to think about something for me, for, with me for a moment? If I told you today that there was going to be a boat that was on the verge of sinking and everybody aboard was almost about to die, and then Jesus was on that boat going to speak a word of rebuke and calm wind and waves, ocean, sea, everybody's going to get calm. And you have a ticket if you want to be on the boat. Would you want to be anywhere else? Would you want to be just in the safe spot, like watching from your TV? You know, like, oh, I want to see it from a distance. Or would you want to be covered in salt water, freaking out over the fact that Jesus just spoke and the world bowed the knee? Creation itself said, yes, sir. And they did what he said. You can expect the reward when you follow Christ, the reward of seeing Jesus do amazing things. So he tells them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea. And there was a great calm. Calm dominates the wind and the waves. Um, I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible tells this story. It says that a calm broke out over the ocean, something to this effect. A calm broke out, but a new storm arose in the hearts of the disciples. Because now they get to look at this guy and marvel and say, what kind of a man? That's literally what, what sort of man is this? What kind of a person can tell the ocean to calm down? And it does. I can't get Judah to be quiet. Jesus can calm the wind and the waves. And they say, what sort of a man? They get the reward of following Christ. Um, I love the then here. Then he rose and rebuked. After they call and say, Lord, don't you care? Aren't we perishing? God loves, this is just a truism. God loves to act when we confess that we cannot. I can't do this. Would you do it? And he will. But as long as we think that like we can participate, he typically lets us fail. Isn't that your experience? That is mine. That is mine. So we get the reward of watching Christ do his greatest work 
when we follow him. And lastly, we get joy. Then the men marveled, saying, what sort of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? When you follow Christ, it will cost you. When you follow Christ, it will have to, he will have to rearrange your priorities. When you follow Christ, you will get surprised. You will get blindsided by hard times, by stretching, sanctifying times. When you follow Christ, you will have to risk everything upon him. When you follow Christ, you will be rebuked by him. When you follow Christ, you will be rewarded by seeing him work. When you follow Christ, you will taste joy that comes when you see his identity on display as it is revealed to you. So expect these things and follow Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for us, for not just summoning us to follow, but also being our way, our truth, our life for being the way to the Father. Thank you for being our obedience. Thank you for being our death. Thank you for being our sanctification, our righteousness. Thank you for being our repentance. Thank you for being everything that we need so that you are all that we need. I pray, Father, for all of us that when we hear today, when we hear your voice summoning us to follow, that there would be nothing that would stand in our way. No rival priority, no cost too much, no risk too high, that we would just trust you and follow and that you would give us the reward of following you, the joy of seeing your person and your power on display. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to trust and obey. We ask it in your name. Amen.